0: Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Before we get to today's show, a quick reminder that this podcast is free for everyone and supported by those who can afford it. So uh, if you have found this podcast a useful companion during 2020, and you'd like to see it continue through 2021, I would invite you to go to plantyourself.com slash gift. If you are in a position where you have the means to support something that means something to you and hopefully uh, you think is doing good in the world. You can use PayPal or Patreon. You can make a one-time contribution or become an ongoing sustaining patron of the show. And if funds are too tight for you to show your appreciation in a monetary sense, you can still leave a review of the Plant Yourself podcast on whatever platform you listen to the podcast. That also helps us a great deal. All right, on to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com, the Big Change program and Well Start Health. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live an evidence-based and ethical life. So today's a quick turnaround podcast. The interview that you're going to hear was conducted just a few hours ago this morning. What's today? July 24th, Tuesday, July 24th, 2018. And I just had such a great time on the phone. And we also Skyped so we could see each other's wry expressions as we made jokes back and forth. Ted Barnett, Dr. Veggie. Ted's been in this business for a long time. He went plant-based in 1991 Uh, after reading Dean Ornish's book on reversing heart disease with an extremely low-fat plant-based diet. And ironically, he was looking in the literature for the health effects of a vegan diet because he and his wife were already thinking of going vegan for the planet and for animals, and they were just worried that a vegan diet wasn't going to be healthy enough or it was going to be too unhealthy to justify the compromise. And imagine their delight when they discovered that not only was a whole food plant-based diet equal to the standard diet, as well as being far more ethical and easy on the planet, but it actually was far superior in terms of individual health as well. Can you say win-win, boys and girls? So uh, with that, they plowed forward, they raised their family completely vegan And 27 years later, Ted Barnett is still in the forefront of the effort to get the mainstream medical community to recognize, to accept, to believe in, and to practice and disseminate the power of lifestyle medicine, including a plant-based diet, good movement, sleep hygiene, stress management, and time in nature and all the rest. So Ted is really smart, he's wise, he's kind, and... He's funny as hell. In this interview, you'll discover Barnett's first law and Barnett's second law and Barnett's rules of medicine. We talk about the problems with large studies and randomized controlled trials, and we talk about parachutes and lots more stuff. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Dr. Veggie, one of the veterans of the plant-based movement. But first, a couple items of business. First thing is... Josh Lajani and I are doing a pair of webinars tonight. That's July 24th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. And also the same time next week on July 31st, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. We're doing a pair of webinars on the three high hurdles to weight loss and health. And we're going to be going over these three mental mistakes, these three mindset shifts that have to occur for people once they begin to change their lifestyle, for it to stick, for it to maintain and for people not to just give up discouraged after a couple of stumbles or setbacks. If you'd like to sign up for that, all you got to do is go to plantyourself.com slash now. You'll get redirected to the page where you can watch a video of me talking about the content. You can read all about it and you can register. Did I mention it's absolutely free? Oh, okay. It's absolutely free. So no reason not to. And also, if you have friends, other people whom you think could use this information, they've sort of been veg curious or they've read the books, but they're still struggling to incorporate the lifestyle. This is what we do at Well Start Health. And we're going to be sharing some of our best ideas with you on this webinar. All right. With the business out of the way, let's get down to pleasure. It's time to mix it up with Dr. Veggie himself. So without further ado, Ted Barnett, Dr. Veggie. Welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast.
1: Thank you, Howard. It's great to be here.
0: Yes, yeah, so I've known you for a long time. We've uh, rubbed elbows at conferences, mm-hmm. and it feels like you've always been in this field. And I'm, I'm really curious um, just about your, your backstory. When how, where Where did you get started? How did you hear about plant-based medicine? Because there wasn't a ton out there when you first tripped upon it.
1: Sure, so um, the story goes back to 1991 when my wife Carol and I had two little girls. Uh, Nathaniel, our youngest, wasn't born yet. Uh, And in 1990, I read, um, or we read, Dean Ornish's book, uh, Reversing Heart Disease, in which he talks about the research he did in the late 80s on how to reverse heart disease using uh, diet uh, and a little exercise, a little meditation. And um, actually demonstrated that uh, arteries could open up. Uh, And he did it uh, using angiography uh, to establish a baseline at the beginning of the study. And one year into the study, the patients uh, all underwent uh, angiography again. And it was a randomized controlled trial, which is um, always difficult to do when you're dealing with lifestyle medicine and diet. But he did it and demonstrated that at the end of the year, the people in the experimental group, the ones who got the 10% calories from fat, uh, almost completely vegan diet uh, uh, demonstrated opening of their arteries. And uh, when I say say almost completely vegan, he did allow uh, some egg white and uh, one cup of non-fat dairy or the equivalent every uh, with every day. Um, and since then, I think it's evolved to where we don't include those anymore. But it was really quite remarkable because uh, I'm an angiographer. I'm uh, part of what I do as an interventional radiologist is to. Uh, put catheters in people's arteries and do diagnostic studies and um, take a look at what the arteries look like. And it had never occurred to me that an artery could ever open up on its own. And in medical school, you know, it always seemed that arteries that were clogged up with plaque were basically filled with concrete, and that concrete was never going to open up. Uh, but he demonstrated that there's an, actually an active equilibrium going on. If you can change the what's going on in your blood, the plaque can resorb a little faster than it's being laid down, and uh, it starts to open up. And since then, we've also learned that there's a lot of inflammation going on underneath the surface of the plaque. And if you can cut down on the inflammation, then the plaque itself starts to regress. So um, that was fascinating to me. At the time, my father, who was in his late 70s, was developing some signs of vascular disease. And we had thought about maybe getting him involved. Um, He was a pathologist and needed a little more persuasion. That didn't seem scientific enough to him. But anyway, so like any good parents, well, we decided we would perform an experiment on our children. So we said, let's all become vegans. And not only that, but we'll become low-fat vegans. We'll try that. We'll see if we can do this 10% route. Um, and uh, we did it, basically overnight. I mean, one of the uh, reasons that we got interested was my wife had been interested in the animal aspect. She'd gotten some mailings from PETA over the last five or six years. I was interested in the environmental aspect, which I still am very much interested in. Uh, and we thought, well, let's do it. And um, so we started in 1991. Nathaniel hadn't been born yet. Uh, He was born in 1992, and uh, he's been vegan since before birth, and um, it's worked out really well. All three of our kids are now grown. They're 27, uh, 29, 31, still vegan trim, healthy, uh, all went to good colleges. In fact, I joke that I've had the good fortune of being able to send a fortune in tuition checks to some of America's finest institutions of higher learning, including Yale, Oberlin, Oh, uh, NYU, Colgate, yeah, well, all those places. see so so. where,
0: so where, where I thought you were going with that yeah. was you were you were so um, impressed with Dean Ornish's RCT that you were going to raise one of your daughters vegan.
1: Ah, right. We could have said, Yeah, well, that would have been <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that wouldn't have been hard. So, <laughs> anyway, so right, so the um,
0: well, so yeah. so I want, I want I want to just come back to a couple of things because the way the way you told the story, yeah, um, it's like it's like this might have happened to anyone, but the, but. Like, first of all, you found yourself reading Dean Ornish, which, right. like, most people didn't. Do. Was that because of Carol, your wife, because of her, her interest in, in animal welfare that you were sort of drawn to that? Was it an accident? Did someone give it to you? How, how, did, how did you find yourself yeah. accidentally right. reading a book?
1: So, obviously, it wasn't an accident. I'm trying to remember. I think it may have had something to do with the fact that my father was having vascular disease and somehow we found out about Dean Ornish. Um, the, uh, I, I remember we were already talking about becoming vegan before that, um, so it sounded dangerous to me. And I wanted, because my parents are smart, they would have not fed me a diet that was unhealthy, so I thought, and um, so I was looking at other, you know, other resources for, well, is this actually healthy or not? And all mm-hmm. I was really looking for was, is it equivalent? In other words, is it no more dangerous than what we were already eating? Because, uh-huh. from, because from an environmental standpoint, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, eating a, a plant-based diet uh, is way better for the planet, way better for the environment. We already knew that, I think, at that time. Uh, and um, so the idea of uh, looking at books that were more about health I, I was, I think, really helpful because it convinced <laughs> me that not only was it safe, but it was much safer and much healthier. Right, that's,
0: so, that's kind yeah. of ironic thinking back – now like like well this this thing has has these ethical benefits and practical benefits and what's the trade-off like uh-huh. am i willing to live a slightly less healthy life being right. vegan exactly and then we exactly. discover just yeah. the opposite
1: that's right that's right
0: okay so, so my second question is like what made you accept that this was possibly true mm-hmm. when it's now Almost thirty years later, and most of your profession, you know, still doesn't right. believe it. I was, I was, I spent the weekend with um, um, a cardiologist, and we were mm-hmm. talking about it, and, and he's like, "Well, there's really no proof. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's some sure. suggestion, but there's no, but like, only yeah. you know, 27 years ago, right? You right. found this credible. What sure. What's wrong? What was wrong with you? Why? Yeah, exactly. Why didn't, why didn't you toe the party line?
1: Right. That 's a pretty interesting question, and, and actually you're taking me back now, and I do remember uh, there's a, a line or a paragraph in ornish 's book, and Ornish is a great thinker there's just no question about it, and obviously something at some point in his life um, clicked and um, you know uh, you know the the aha moments right I call them the sloping forehead moments when you go like this right? <laughs> and uh, basically he talks about how difficult it is to get um, funding for any research into uh, nutrition or lifestyle changes, basically lifestyle, because there's no, there's very little money in it for anybody, for any like company or corporation or any entrepreneur. It's just not a great way of, uh, it's not a great business model for making a lot of money. So you realize that you need someone else other than drug companies who are the major funders, you need government or someone else to fund research like that and he basically talks about how difficult it is to get research funding for that and then I realize, well, so the curve is always being pushed in one direction um, we always are trending toward things that are going to cost more money. Uh, and, uh, especially if it makes money for, you know, the corporations and we're always going to tend to ignore or even make fun of those things that are inexpensive, even if they work better. So actually that's when I developed Barnett's first law. So Barnett's first law is things, uh, so if I can get this right, it's my own law. You'd think I'd be able to know, um, <laughs> refra- but basically the idea is that, um, free or inexpensive solutions to problems will be much less well-known than expensive problems, even if the expensive problems, uh, sorry, than expensive treatments, even if the expensive treatments aren't nearly as good. So I'll say it again. So free or inexpensive solutions to problems will never be as well-known as expensive treatments, even if they're better. And the point here is that, you know, it's really pretty cheap to put somebody in a whole food plant-based diet. uh, And, um, The problem is there's nobody in three-piece suits out there pushing broccoli and brown rice, or that's kind of stereotypical. We eat lots more than that, but you know, you you get the idea. Yeah. Uh, um, There's, but there's plenty of people out there pushing expensive treatments and expensive medication, expensive procedures. I mean, when I I put stents in, as one of my, uh, one of the things I do in radiology, in interventional radiology, I just, I don't have to get permission from the insurance company. To put, a, uh, to put a stent technologist, and I say, hand me that stent, and that's $2,000. And mm. if the, the stent wasn't long enough, and I need to put another one in, that's another $2,000. And there's no problem, but if I wanna uh, put, put somebody through one of the programs that I'll tell you about later, one of my programs in uh, lifestyle medicine, which we could get by, you know, probably do for $1,000 for an entire year, um, it's just not part of the system. And so, The the expensive solutions are out there. They're going to be much more well known because you got these big systems in place, and the salesman shows up every day at our office. That type of thing. Okay.
0: So, so you say one little thing in there really uh, caught my attention. So it makes sense that things are going to be. There's nobody. There's no um, you know rep driving from doctor to doctor's office with a trunk full of broccoli and brown rice. Right. But so so there's there's less overt marketing but you also said that it will be sort of made fun of
1: yeah yeah
0: like 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 like. to me that's like if you show me the study right. of ornish or someone else and you show me it's a well done study and there's and there's angiography and there's this there's, there's proof or mm-hmm. you know like okay well then but but that's not enough to overcome right the kind of bias that this is like so what 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 did you see in terms of how it's made fun of because i i you know, yeah. In in my mind, I can picture, I can kind of hear all these things, but it feels like you're you're kind of coming going down to sort of the fundamentals of where this all started, where the right. the uh, the prejudice sure. against lifestyle and specifically plant based came from.
1: Um, interesting question. So, you know, part of it is well, we've always done it that way, this way, so it must be right. What you're talking about is completely different from what we've always done, and 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 also sounds so easy that. If it were really, if it really worked, we would already be doing it, right? <laughs> and so it's very circular in that sense. I think one of the criticisms of Ornish has always been that, it, well, it's too small of a study. We can't prove anything from that. And, and I've kind of, evolved, my thinking has evolved over the years on that. I really am very skeptical of big studies now. And I'm <laughs> looking much more for small studies that have a lot of power. And the example I often give to people is the, um, you know, there's an article that was written in the British Medical Journal. I know. 15 years ago or something about um, the uh, it's a meta-analysis of all the randomized control trials on the use of parachutes for jumping out of airplanes. You've probably seen that article No uh, oh yeah, it's a great article. Uh, the, they basically the, the authors say well we're gonna we did an analysis of we looked for all the um, randomized control trials on parachute use and we couldn't find any <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and so uh, we believe that uh, you know those in favor of evidence-based medicine should all participate in uh, one of these randomized control trials. Uh, which would involve a crossover. So if you're not, the <laughs> right? So everybody would get get the, uh, you know, if you got if you were able to jump out of the airplane with a parachute the first time, the second time you'd have to jump out without the air, without the parachute. Anyway, take a look at the article; it's pretty funny. But the idea is obviously tongue in cheek. But it was published in the British Medical Journal. It might have been April. There may April Fool's issue. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, the point is, you don't need large studies often to prove your point. And you know, you and I have talked in the past about the PREDIMED study, which is a huge study, and it ends up being...
0: Right, can, can you, and for people who aren't, sure. uh, who are sure. nerds like us, can you yeah, right. describe so it? The pre,
1: yeah, sure, the PREDIMED study is uh, about the uh, the re- research done on the Mediterranean diet, and I think it was completed a couple, of, uh, three or four years ago, uh, and uh, basically they had 7,500 people living in Spain who were randomized into three groups, and um, one group was, told to go on a low-fat diet. Uh, the, other, uh, uh, the second group was, and they, were con- they were considered the control, I guess, although it really wasn't a true control. But anyway, another group was given uh, a gift of nuts every week, and they were asked to incorporate nuts into their diet. And the third group was given uh, extra virgin olive oil. And then they compared the results of the three groups, and they said, oh look, the people on the low-fat diet, they, their outcomes weren't as good. And it turns out the differences between the three group, group, groups was minimal. The, quote, low-fat diet was really 37% calories from fat, which is in no way a low-fat diet when we're talking 10% calories from fat in the Ornish program. So, the but, but because they had spent, in my opinion, had spent so much money and so much effort on this huge study, they had to get some conclusion out of it. Uh, and um, so they did. And then that was published a couple of years ago. And then just in the last month or so, they published a, a retraction, saying, well, yeah, it turns out there, was, there were a lot of mistakes in the study. But meanwhile, the newspapers and everybody are running around saying how great the Mediterranean diet is and how lousy low-fat diets are, and basically drawing conclusions from this huge study, which, you know, if you're, if you're only looking for big studies, it would be great. It's got 7,500 people. But the point is, they, it was not a well-done study, and it was, the, the, it was misinterpreted as far as I'm concerned. So I look at little studies. You know, and, and a lot of doctors do this all the time. When you have somebody come in who's got diabetes and two weeks later, they don't have you put them on a whole food uh, plant-based diet that's low fat and two weeks later, they don't have diabetes anymore. Well, that's pretty helpful. Or if their cholesterol drops 70 points in two weeks, well, that's pretty useful. So, you you know, you, you have to combine. And it's not that it's unscientific, but go ahead. You wanted to say something.
0: Yeah. So, so I'm wondering, is, do, do we need large studies for because of most studies are done on drugs. And so we need to have large populations in order to catch side effects that might be rare, but fatal. And so sure. we've, we've taken this idea that, oh, large studies are good right. and applied it in an area where it's, it, it, this, the, the regular rules don't apply.
1: No, I think that's a good point. I mean, yeah, because drugs, are, uh, you have to look for side effects. I mean, the other thing, of course, when you mention drug studies is you're going to do a placebo. Which that's the beauty of drugs, right? You can give somebody a capsule that doesn't contain anything, and they don't know. You can't do that with broccoli. People know if you're giving them plastic broccoli. So, um, so the large you Yeah, you're, I know you're more of an expert on this than I am, but I, you know, you do need certain power to look for side effects. So, um,
0: but if you're if if you're yeah. offering if you're offering an intervention that right. that you presume does not have negative side effects, right? Then you you don't need those numbers.
1: Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, of course, there's that presumption. Maybe there are those people out there who are having negative side effects. Yeah. Um, um, well, you know,
0: also, the, you, you said that the uh, the control group in the PrediMed was not a real, not a true control. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, they, were also, asked, they, they also got an intervention, which is they were asked to change to a, quote, low-fat diet um, and um, ended up lowering their fat intake to Minimally, I mean, they ended up going from thirty eight percent to thirty seven percent something like that, but they were in a clearly in a high fat diet anyway um, by our standards um, and there were the the other problem was there was just it was all self reported there were just so many things wrong with that study um, and maybe it, I should, maybe it 's not fair to pick on them because I think they worked hard at it yeah
0: but <laughs> well i mean well, I, I blame like you know the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And I, I also blame doctors like this—the uh, cardiologist I was talking about. That's the one study he's, he raised to say this is the only proof we have in a randomized controlled trial of diet mm-hmm. that the Mediterranean diet is the only one. Right. And you know, I said, "Well, it's been right. first of all, it's been retracted. But second mm-hmm. of all, even if it hadn't been retracted, even if it had been sort of you know foolproof in its methodology, right. didn't you read the the, the numbers?"
1: Right. Right, it was Like, you hardly, know, from, yeah.
0: the only significant, the only statistically significant finding was, mm. I believe, the people who had nuts had 30 percent fewer strokes. Right. But no fewer deaths.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Death from any outcome was the same among all three groups. And so obviously you couldn't draw huge conclusions. Whereas, well, you know, we probably shouldn't spend too much time on, more on that. But I'm thinking what what I have found now, and I think this is going to be how things will change in the future, is that doctors are beginning to recognize that their own health is in jeopardy, and they try these things out, and they go, wow, I had no idea this would work so quickly. So um, just uh, we just finished a, uh, a, a pilot program with 26 patients, and it was two weeks, it was a 15-day jumpstart, basically. And a couple of our uh, consultants also went through the program. And the idea was, uh, <clears throat> they came in Saturday morning, we did finger stick, uh, lipid profiles and blood glucose and we we're able to give people the results instantly. We then gave them breakfast and we, fed them, and we fed them propaganda about the whole food plant-based diet. And two weeks later, we had them come back in again on a Saturday morning, get their finger sticks, and they were shocked. So one of our consultants, his cholesterol, he said, my cholesterol's never been under 200. His started at 220, at the end of two weeks it's 151. <laughs> uh, we had patients routinely like that going through. So when you see those kinds of incredibly powerful results, you start to wonder, well gee, what is it with these huge studies? How come they're not demonstrating these major changes? And there's obviously other, other things going on, but when you look at each, each individual, so there's, there's this incredible disconnect, because we have this incredibly powerful diet that works really rapidly, and no doctor can really deny that. They see the lab results, and then they see the patients start to lose weight, but for whatever reason, we um, like to have big studies. So I'm basically at this point saying, look, we know this works. The challenge here is getting people to stick with it, and changing the culture enough so that people can stick with it, because really, that, and that's where the that's where the research needs to be done. The research is not whether it works at this point. The research needs to be done in what programs actually help people to stay with it. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's kind of the challenge we're, we're trying to address with our, uh, our our businesses. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I anyway. can't remember
0: where where I heard this, but the phrase "Sure, it works in practice, but does it work in theory?"
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I like that. Yeah. Exactly. So um, so uh, yeah, tell, yeah tell
0: us more about what you know what what kind of businesses and what kind right. of research you're doing what what are you doing to push so, the movement forward
1: So um I'm still working uh nearly full time as an interventional radiologist which I enjoy and I'm good at and it helps pay the bills in fact it's the only thing right now that pays the bills um and uh but we started uh, Rochester Lifestyle Medicine in 2015 uh and uh, then, in two years later, the spring of 2017, we started the Rochester Lifestyle Medicine Institute. So, both of these organizations uh, are trying to push forward uh, plant-based nutrition and helping to make li- make lifestyle medicine uh, the sort of the standard of care for pretty much everything. You know, 80 or 85 percent of what ails people in this country, because mostly what's ailing people are um, chronic illnesses such as diabetes and heart disease, and as co- uh, uh, Caldwell Esselstyn would say, you know, foodborne illness, basically, uh, and what we what, what we what we put in our mouths every day, and it doesn't have a lot of glamour, uh, you know, getting people to change their diet, but it's incredibly effective. Um, so, you know, when I started back in 1991, we were not calling this lifestyle medicine; that term had not really uh, crossed my lips. Um, but you know, in the last decade or so, lifestyle medicine has become uh, a more well-known term. Uh, I now have my boards in lifestyle medicine. They gave the inaugural examination last fall out in uh, Tucson, Arizona, uh, the, the American board of. So medicine. I'm, I'm yeah. so
0: curious about that because right. um, like what, what was the test like? Because like, and how different was it from like a, the, the standard test that you would have gotten?
1: Mm. Well, the test was hard. I will say that. And, um, uh, it was in, in many ways it was very conventional. I mean, it, we sat in a ru- room with proctors and computers, and uh, we had it was multiple choice uh, and uh, pretty long. There were I think 250 questions, and um, And the, was the still, answer
0: to every single question was rice and broccoli, well, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. It was rice and broccoli. So the, yeah, the areas that were covered. So lifestyle medicine doesn't just cover diet. So sleep is an important part of it. Um, you know, there's actually the, the, the lifestyle medicine vital signs, uh, that we talk about, and let's see if I can get these right. It's been a while since I took the test, but anyway, <laughs>
0: there's uh, no, no proctors here.
1: Yeah. Okay. Good. Can I look at you can, you, you can look. Yeah, I don't have a tept- You have tattoos. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: So, um, but basically, <laughs> you know, you're looking at, at uh, BMI. So weight and obesity, you're looking at sleep habits. Uh, you are looking at the actual diet that people are consuming and, um, Activity patterns, so whether people are getting exercise, and these are all important features of lifestyle medicine: stress, social support, and we refer to those as the as the lifestyle medicine vital signs. And there was actually a seminal article published in the New England Journal, no, uh, in JAMA in 2010, which basically covers these by a woman named liana Leonov, who is kind of the mother of lifestyle medicine, and. so it was considered a classic article, um, but where were we going with this? So
0: about the uh, the board. What?
1: Oh, so the tests. You know, they ask you about what what evidence is there about you know uh, diet and heart disease, diet and diabetes. Uh, what what can you expect when people make certain changes? There were questions about think, um, uh, melatonin. Uh, you know, some physiology. And uh, sleep physiology, that type of thing. But basically, um, if you were a family practice doc, I think the questions were relatively easy. I'm not a family practice doc, so I was actually sitting with three of my co- or two of my colleagues. There's an incredible photograph of the three of us waiting to take these boards. So um, Carrie Graf, who's a family practice doc locally in Canandaigua, New York, uh, she's sitting on one end, and Susan Friedman is sitting between the two of us. Susan Friedman is a geriatrician and hospitalist at the big teaching hospital, and then there's me. Um, an interventional radiologist who happens to have kind of taken this up late in life. And you can tell by our expressions who feels like they're going to pass. And who's <laughs> like, like and I, I kind of look kind of glum and nervous. And luckily we all passed. But uh, Carrie Graff, who has clearly been doing this the longest she, or, and most involved, I wouldn't say the longest, but the most involved because she's family practice. She looked quite happy. Anyway, all three of us passed. There's actually five of us now in Rochester who've passed our uh, lifestyle medicine boards. They're all connected to Rochester Lifestyle Medicine. And uh, which is something I'm really proud of. There's only 204 people on the whole planet now, in fact, the entire solar system, who um, have their boards in lifestyle medicine. So, um, you know, yeah, that's, question, like, that's like like a
0: mil, you know a million and a half Americans for every one.
1: That's right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah, good math. Anyway, so uh, I, I want to go back to the where the how doctors will be persuaded of this. So I think, uh, um, you know, we, we, uh, we like to refer to lifestyle medicine as evidence-based, and it truly is, but sometimes you just have to um, recognize that there's, there are other ways to do studies beside the randomized controlled double-blind study because obviously that doesn't work on lifestyle. And so it doesn't mean the lifestyle doesn't work, it just means you can't use that as your gold standard. Um, so uh, w- now what I'm seeing is doctors trying this on themselves and saying, wow, it worked for me. I'm trying it in my family. It's working for them. I, every patient who does this, it seems to work for them. I, I guess I don't need a trial of 100,000 people because every time I try this on somebody, if they do it, it seems to work. Uh, and so we just need to somehow change the, the, this, the, the scientific paradigm around this, not to be unscientific. I, I absolutely think we need to be scientific about these things. And you can put them to you can put it to the test. When you put, certain, you know, if you put homeopathy to the test, it doesn't work. Uh, if you put lifestyle medicine to the test, uh, it does work. So uh, I, I, we don't advocate any of what we're often termed um, integrative or alternative um, treatments. We're basically trying to stick with what's evidence-based. So that's my spiel on that. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned earlier, like the the big. You know, yeah, in terms of marketing, we need to do right. more in to create these new paradigms for for doctors to to accept other forms of evidence um, right. as 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 paramount. And, I, and I've been I've talked to, uh, you know, Joel Kahn about sure. this, and he really is a big fan of, you know, Walter Longo's five pillars where that takes mm-hmm. a, a broad, a broad brush. Um, but the other the the thing you said that really needs research is how do we get people to adopt and maintain this? Um, right. So what right. what what kind of what do you know about that? Because you know I've, <laughs> I've co-founded a startup dedicated to that, so you know I'm very greedy mm. for anything sure. anything that works that other people are yeah, doing.
1: Sure. You're talking about the purple carrot now?
0: No, what? no. This is oh. a well, WellStart Health.
1: Oh, you're involved with WellStart. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm,
0: I'm the uh, I'm the chief of behavioral science.
1: You? Okay, sure. Um, uh, Yeah, it's. I guess it's a little, in some ways it's a little more like psychiatry in that it's very um, individual, both on the side of the person administering the treatment and the side of the patient, right? So, you know, we know that talk, talk therapy seems to work when it's done by a good psychiatrist, but of course then what's a good psychiatrist? Uh, and that's going to be very dependent on the individual. I mean, the, sort of, I guess the beauty of a pharmaceutical is that it doesn't really matter who's administering it, especially if it's something simple like an antibiotic and you're trying to treat an infection. It honestly, doesn't really matter if the doctor giving you it has good bedside manner or, you know, right? The antibiotic either is going to work or it isn't. But it, but in this situation, we're dealing with getting people to make major changes to their lives. And I think there's going to be thousands of different approaches and, and uh, many of them will work. Uh, and of course, that makes it conf- uh, confusing and difficult for insurance companies to know how they're going to... Uh, you know, what to pay for. So for example, we use the CHIP program, the Complete Health Improvement Program, which was developed in Loma Linda, California, back in, you know, almost 25, 30 years ago by Hans Diehl, and it's got probably the most literature of any lifestyle intervention. Um, and so it's in that sense, it's uh, kind of classic medicine. It's published, it's in the peer-reviewed literature, and for people who stay with the program, it works. Um, we, it's a long program, it takes anywhere between 9 and 18 weeks to administer, it can be f- somewhat expensive. So we are working on our own short-term programs, because we think that's one, another way to get people engaged is with these jump starts. So we just put 26 people through a jump start, and as I was saying earlier, we got you know, really good results. Uh, but of course, once the two weeks is over, then what? Mm-hmm. So we're struggling with how to keep people engaged after that. So we use closed Facebook groups. We have volunteer coaches. Uh, I do think it's going to be difficult to get this into the uh, conventional medical system because you're going to have to use a lot of volunteers to make this work. Sorry, you Uh, broke up for a second there. uh, repeat. Yeah. reimbursed. Yeah.
0: Say that again. You you broke up for a second. It's it's difficult because you'll have to.
1: Well, to um, get this into the medical system, uh, it's going to be difficult because I think Insurance companies are never going to pay a lot for it. It's always going to be easier for a doctor to put his kids to college and make, you know, buy his cars and make car payments. um, If he's doing something that nobody else can do. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is, you know, administer medication, perform a procedure, do an operation, that type of thing. Where, you know, you just you can't take out your own appendix. Right. But you can change your own diet. Um, So I think it's hard for people to see the value in uh, these, these lifestyle interventions, even when they are more powerful. So I think we're going to have to use volunteer energy. I know we're seeing that. It's one of the reasons we started our nonprofit because we have all these people who really, really want to help, mainly people who've been through the program themselves and then want to kind of be buddies and mentors to uh, other people who are in need of the program. So you know, we have one guy who's lost over 100 pounds and he's now one of our biggest advocates and he's helping other people do the same thing. Uh, and that you know, devoting his volunteer energy, but you can understand why that's a tricky business model, right? Because it doesn't doesn't make a lot of money for anybody. So, and I'm sure you're struggling with that if you have a startup,
0: right? Well, well we we got to talk offline. I don't want I don't want to market my startup yeah, uh, sure. overtly on yeah. the podcast to people who don't care. But uh, yeah, right. you know, sure. that's that's what we do is the follow up, right? Is uh, you know, di- digital support for up to a year, right? Um, right. No,
1: I think that's great. Yeah.
0: Well, and, you know, and yeah, the, insur- the way the model is set up now, I think mm-hmm. in a very reductionist sense, there's no money to be made in helping people get well. And certainly, you know, doctors who are then told, hey, you have to do this thing that, that anybody who can chop an onion can do.
1: Right. Um,
0: right. You know, and probably a lot of people with a better bedside manner than you could do mm-hmm. it better. There's, there's going to be a threat. But when you look right. at the, you know, the, the global economy, and mm-hmm. how runaway healthcare costs are, are sinking this country. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think if you think about like taking one person and mm-hmm. reversing their type two diabetes and think about, right. let's say, the five year cost savings and you think right. of it as a pie chart and then yep. you think, well, you know, we have to we, let's split that between the employer, the patient and the company that, you know, the people who do the intervention. I think right. there's plenty to go around.
1: Yeah, there sure is. There sure is. But on the other hand, if they don't get sick to begin with, right? So, but the diabetes is a great example. So, the my understanding is the average person costs about five thousand dollars a year in healthcare costs. Uh, when they get diabetes, it goes up to ten thousand a year. Then, when they go into renal failure and end up on dialysis, it goes to one hundred thousand dollars a year. And these are patients I deal with every day. Patients on dialysis. That's one of the things we do in interventional radiology take care of their fistulas and that type of thing. And it's you're right, it's just an astounding amount of money, but the question is, which who in the system is, has the incentive to change that? Uh, but you said something earlier about the global economy, and I think it's really, really important, because uh, if you step back, we have this crazy system now where we're basically destroying the planet in pursuit of uh, animal products. And, um, causing runaway global warming, all that kind of stuff. So much of it would be remedied if we were eating lower on the food chain. And then the result of that is it makes us sick. So where's the logic there? Uh, we really, for the first time, and, and this has been in evolution since we started these organizations, I now actually am come very upfront about we can't be advocating um, healthcare, health Uh, medical treatments that are at odds with the health of the planet. We just can't. Fortunately, whole food plant-based nutrition is completely aligned with the health of the planet and advocating that. So thank goodness, because uh, it would be pretty hard, I think, to justify saying, well, we have this other health, you know, we have this other treatment for you, but it's not good for the planet. It would save you, but it would be bad for the planet. Fortunately, we don't have to tell people that. We can tell you, we have this treatment for you, And not only is it great for you, but it's also really great for the health of the planet. So your children and grandchildren will actually have a viable biosphere to live in.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it reminds me of the work of a friend of mine, David Eisenberg, who founded Uh the the, the Developmental Center for Appropriate Technology. He was Mm -hmm. basically um, trying to get building inspectors to consider Mm -hmm. the health of the planet instead of saying, Mm -hmm. well, this building is safe because it's structurally sound. As opposed right. to this building created five tons of waste and hazardous runoff, and mm. therefore it's it's technically safe for the inhabitants of the building, but unsafe mm. in a, you know in a small way for everybody else.
1: Ah, that's interesting. Right. I'd like to hear more about that at some point too. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, huh?
0: Yeah, I mean, just you know, I guess it's our brains. We're all we're we're scared of airplanes falling out of the sky, but we're not scared right. of heart disease.
1: Right. Exactly. right, exactly. The slow,
0: incremental, sure thing mm-hmm. is less scary mm-hmm. than the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. the the acute, dramatic right. event.
1: Right, which actually reminds me of Barnett's second law, which oh. I can remember. Go ahead.
0: Oh, good, good, good. I want, I want sure. all of them.
1: So Barnett's second law, there's only two. Um, <laughs> Barnett's second law. I have a bunch of rules of medicine, which are different, but this is the second law is that nobody gets credit for bad things that don't happen. And it has really to do with why prevention is just not that interesting or exciting, it's very hard to prove that you've prevented something awful from happening. So one of the examples I like to give is, well, a 9-11, if the FBI had figured out that these crazy people were going to be flying airplanes into the Twin Towers, and they somehow intervened, and it didn't happen, would we be sitting around 17 years later saying, wow, we really dodged that bullet? Just think of all the terrible wars we'd be in right now, and all the you know increased... Uh, Regulations at airports and all these things—all it would have been a mess if that had happened. Just glad we dodged that bullet, right? No, because it, there would be no proof that it ever would have happened. Nobody would believe you. So it's the same thing with well, when did did you get this morning? Thank Jonas Salk because you don't have polio, right? No, I didn't. wasn't I wasn't going to get polio. Yeah. You know? So, right. uh, so I think, and it's and it makes sense. It's it's not it's logical and it's also human nature to not really. Um, focus on those things that are kind of theoretical. You're much more focused on the things that are immediate, that the obvious uh, danger right in front of you. And pol- politicians take advantage of that all the time. by you know, making you afraid of something that's somehow made made to feel imminent. Yeah. And uh, anyway, yeah. that, that in medicine, the you run into this all the time. People just are not. They they they're, they give you credit if you save them from a disease you obviously have. If you have pneumonia. And you get better because you got antibiotics. Wow, I'm convinced. If you have angina and we put a stent in, and tomorrow you don't have angina, fine. Uh, I'll give you credit for that. But if ten years ago you put me on a whole food plant based diet and now I don't have angina, you're not going to know. You're not going to really give anybody credit. So,
0: right. Um, so, what uh, what are your rules of medicine?
1: Our oh, finest <laughs> Well, again, I don't have them right in front of me, but uh, so first Barnett's first rule is don't screw up the easy stuff. All right. So basically, and I won't even explain that one. But I'll go to uh, Barnett's second rule: is if you make fun of another doctor, they will turn out to be right. Yeah. And uh, so I'm very careful to not ridicule or make fun of other doctors, and I find the same thing with just people in general. So a really good example of that is I told you about the patient who lost over 100 pounds. Um, and he, he took my course on plant-based nutrition. I teach a six week course on plant-based nutrition. We've given it 15 times and almost 700 people have taken it. Uh, it's open to, it's accredited for physicians to get 12 CMEs, but the public can take it. So he was one of the members of the public who took it, uh, early uh, last January and February. And then I met him at a meeting and he was telling me, I'm not getting enough lysine. And I said, how do you know that? And he said, well, I'm using chronometer. This um food diary i'm not f- sure if you're familiar with it yeah. and i started to say look you know about that's reductionist you know if you're just eating a whole food plant based diet you don't have to worry about these things you're going to get enough and i felt myself starting to ridicule him right luckily he's a very humorous guy who's very confident in himself and so we had a good banter and a good back and forth but as i started to feel like okay i'm beginning to ridicule this man maybe he's got some kind of a point so i said what is this chronometer thing so he shows me and it actually for geeks like like me, and for him, and maybe even for you, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's actually a fascinating program that gives you all the breakdown of all the food you're eating. Now we know that's very reductionist, and if you're eating a whole food, plant based diet, you don't have to worry about that. Um, but um, there are people who need to be convinced, and it may only take a day or two for them to see. Yeah, I put all this these food, all this the food in. And only, of course, there's only, only one thing they care about, which is protein, right? Right. It looks, so it looks like I'm getting enough protein. Okay, this this will work. So that's Barnet's second law. The other ones I haven't looked at are rules. The other ones I haven't looked at in a while, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll mail, I'll email them to you when I find them. Right.
0: So before yeah. before we go, I'm curious about like what you have personally discovered. Your insights into working with people at various stages of readiness. Because mm-hmm. um, one of the things of you know, as with with our startup, we're getting people. Um, you know, initially the work I was doing. Um, oh, with, I lost you. Hey. Can you hear me
1: now? Yeah, we're back in next... The- yeah, I'm here. Okay, You, you cool. broke up
0: for a minute there. Okay. okay. Um, you're, so
1: you go back to where your startup...
0: Yeah, so with, the, with, so with the startup where we're getting people, some of whom the, our initial clients came because of the books I've written and because of the podcast that I do. So they're like right. on board and they just need help, you know, figuring out how to deal with cravings, how to deal with social situations, how to get moving. You right. know, they're at a different level versus people who come in completely unconvinced. And to give you an example, we're working with a company where the first group came in Uh sort of cold. The second group came in following an intensive five-day immersion and the Uh, difference between those two groups. So how do you kind of assess and think about, like, you know, when do you talk about, like, just, you know, how to introduce people, both convincing them and getting Mm -hmm. them to start taking steps?
1: Right. Well, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, And so... There, it's basically, in a lot of ways, it's marketing, uh, a term I'm not really fond of. But uh, my wife and I have been basically uh, um, working in this area since 1995 when we started running the Rochester Area Vegan Society. Uh, and so we're constantly running programs. Um, and the idea is to change the culture. And then three years ago when we started Rochester Lifestyle Medicine, it was sort of the same idea. We started running a Lifestyle as Medicine lecture series at the Rochester Academy of Medicine. We've had you know, all the big names come to Rochester pretty much every month. And um, you have to change the culture so people have heard about what you're doing. You're right, If someone you, you can, and you can assess readiness to change. There are questionnaires that will help you to assess that. Um, but someone who is completely cold and is not interested, you're not, probably not someone you wanna put through this program. However, when they start to hear about it from their friends and they see it in the paper or they hear about it on the radio, then they start to get interested. Then, of course, they get sick, uh, and they mention it to their doctor. The doctor says, well, you know, we, there's this program. So it's not, it's not a simple question to answer,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, right? But I think as a culture, we need to move forward as a culture. And at some point, the culture is going to have changed so much that what we're saying is going to just sound normal. Why are you even telling me this? Of course, eating plants is good for you. And once that happens, we're going to sort of be out of a job. But yeah. <laughs> Which I guess is a good thing. But um, everyone's individual. People need, definitely need social support. You, know, you look at some of the things in the blue zones or the Maui's, which are these little groups of five people that have you know, always lived together. So, What's that? We put the Maui in the, the, from the blue zones. Uh, you know, you're familiar, I'm sure you're familiar with the blue zones. I'm familiar with
0: the blue zones. I familiar with the blue zones i have not right. heard
1: the term Maui's. Yeah. Um, and it's M-A-W-E-I. It's a Japanese term, I believe. We can uh-huh. look that one up later. Sure,
0: so from Okinawa? Uh,
1: yeah. So basically, from the time you're a little kid, you're assigned to this little group of five people, uh-huh. and they're going to be your basically your best friends for the rest of your life, and you're always going to get together on a regular basis. And it's that social support that humans need because we are truly social animals. So we like to get people in into little groups of four to six. Um, we we hit, hook them up through a closed Facebook group, which you know I think is good on, on a short term basis, but be, really it's the it's that human connection. So um, uh, that is the million dollar question uh-huh. is how to get people to stick with it. I think it's pretty easy to persuade people that it works. Uh, it didn't used to be, I, I would say 10 years ago, it was very hard to persuade people that it works. Now I think, um, it's much easier to persuade people that it works one because it's become sort of more accepted in the media. Doctors are now, doctors actually believe it or not, are becoming persuaded of this. Uh, um, and so now the challenge is really getting people to stick with it. When, when they're surrounded by all these cultural cues, you know, there's fast food restaurants every 100 every feet on various roads. People are surrounded by commercials. They're surrounded by all this tantalizing food that's all been processed to hit their bliss points. It's tough.
0: Yeah. So. And, and one of the things I'm seeing is, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but the, the, when it starts to work, it's like a, a binary switch is flipped in that they're no longer of this culture. Right. Right. And now, like like, I hear this from so many people that now, okay, I've accepted this, and I've also now changed my views on ten other things because it's like you know, like that story of Flatland where the uh, you know all the all the all the creatures are are two dimensional,
1: two dimensional, right? And then one of them gets
0: flipped up in the air and now has can see things differently and can't. When they return, they can't explain. Right. Right. But they're they're no they're 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 part of a different. They, they, they can't unknow un- um, what, what, right. they've, what they've known. Right. Do you find that, that when people ad, yeah. you know, adopt, that, that that's the, that's the, um, the inoculation, mm-hmm. that now the, the fast yeah. food signs, it's like, that's not my culture anymore?
1: That's right. Uh, and I like the analogy of flipping a switch. I actually end up using that term a lot with doctors. I've seen this a lot, uh, that doctors have been challenging me and even ridiculing me for decades. So suddenly the switch flips and you think, wow, oh, that's just really interesting, because there's been this resistance to, to even accepting it at all. And then, of course, once you accept this premise, the rest is pretty obvious to those of us who've been thinking about it for as long as we have, and that, I think, we, then it becomes obvious to them as well. Um, I mean, I've got a great story, which I probably don't have time to tell, but I'll, I'll tell it anyway. You can edit it out. Uh, this is a, a, one of the things we do in interventional radiology is we do procedures all day long, so this is the end of, and like every hour, another patient comes in with some other problem, and it might be they need their Mediport fixed, you know, for injecting chemotherapy from their oncologist, or they might have a fistula that needs to be repaired for dialysis, whatever. Anyway, it's Friday afternoon. It's four o'clock. Uh, everybody on my team is exhausted. There's the nurses and techs are standing around. And they just can't wait to get out and go home. We still have two patients left, and it's four o'clock now. So they know they're going to be there late, and then the phone rings, and you can see the look on their faces: oh, my, oh, oh my. Somebody wants to add on a case. So I see the nurse go and pick up the phone, she writes a little note, she hangs up, then she comes out and hands me the note. It's Dr. And the look on her face is, Dr. Barnett, under no circumstances am I going to allow you to add another case on, right? <laughs> so I call the number, um, and it's this oncologist, who I've known for years. And I said, how can I help you? Thinking he's gonna have a port or something that's gonna need to be fixed. He says, Ted. I totally get this plant-based thing now. I said, "I said, oh, hey, can I call you back? Because <laughs> we still have two patients left. But anyway, it was just such a relief. But there was, there was a switch that flipped. And you see it all the time. For whatever reason, I think, I tend to think it has a lot to do with doctors realizing that they are also human and gonna get these illnesses. And they start to think about, gee, how can I change my way of living? So yeah, there is a switch. And we see it in patients, There was just a rant the other day on one of our Facebook groups about this woman who's now who took our two week jumpstart. Now she walks into the grocery store and she can't believe all the food, all the processed food that she's seeing. It's just unreal to her. So, yeah.
0: And, and, you know, you also you mentioned, um, you know, your uh, I think your second law about, you know, don't ridicule other other doctors. And, you know, one reason not to ridicule them is that they turn out to be right. But even if that even if that's not the case, Right. You know, if you're if you if your oncologist friend had felt ridiculed, he might right. never have gotten there. Right.
1: Exactly. That, exactly. That we have
0: to figure out how to talk to other professionals in a way that allows mm-hmm. them to save face when they discover the truth.
1: Sure. Right. Well, that's actually a, probably a cultural skill that we all ought to be a, 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 a working towards in all, a lot of areas, not just medicine. Right. Is how do we talk to people who don't agree with us? Mm. Uh, and that's a big challenge. Um, But you're right, in medicine, you know, we have certain ways of talking. So we use evidence, we're gentle about it, you know. uh, And uh, I think persistence pays off. I mean, that's kind of what I'm known for, is I, you know, all these setbacks, and believe me, there's been lots, especially since I actually started doing it as a living. You know, when I was just doing it for myself and my family, it wasn't really costing me anything, right? Now I've got, you know, a company that's actually a medical group, Rochester Lifestyle Medicine Group, and uh, we actually are seeing a lot of patients now, but it's still one of those things where it's not making money and it's, uh-huh. um, but, but doctors are sending us patients, which is exciting.
0: Uh-huh. So what, you know, um, you know, Sarai Stancic. Sorry,
1: sorry. Yeah, sure.
0: Right. It's a doctor.
1: She's great. Yeah. She's and she, you right. know, she's yeah.
0: talking about like her, she started a lifestyle medicine practice. You know, everyone told her she was crazy. Right. And right. She, like, she discovered to her amazement that her best referral source were other doctors but before they became referral sources, they wanted to be her patients. Right. Like, are you are you yeah. discovering that, that there's sort of like a, a, uh, a curious uh, approach avoidance thing going on with medical professionals?
1: Approach avoidance. Yeah, well, we definitely have seen doctors that come to consult with us one on one. We also have, a, as I mentioned, quite a lot of doctors who've taken the course, the plant based nutrition course, uh, in which I try to gently outline, you know, lay, lay out all the evidence. Uh, and I, I think that they, that's been persuasive, persuasive, but yeah, we definitely see doctors coming through because they want to find out for their own health issues. A lot of them are overweight, a lot of them have arthritis, uh, high cholesterol, that type of thing. So, yeah. Right.
0: So, um, before I let you go, what's, what is the oh, near future? moving there for a second. Huh?
1: What's that? I, I yeah. Okay. I, I didn't hear that. Go oh, back. Okay. About um, 12 seconds.
0: Oh, Okay um that's you know that's the price of seeing your your smiling face is that we're having a little audio i'm
1: sorry so, i can turn it off should i turn it off
0: no no we're almost done. Uh, we okay, we've made okay. it this far we're gonna we we're gonna, it we're gonna punch okay. it across the goal line <laughs> um,
1: plow, plow forward okay
0: i'm just curious what what you what you see the next five years holding for mm. for you what's uh what's on your agenda what, what would you like to accomplish yeah.
1: Uh, Well, um, I obviously, I enjoy very much what I do as an interventional radiologist, so I do, I think I'll be continuing to practice that, Um, but our lifestyle medicine group, Rochester Lifestyle Medicine Group, the practice itself, we're going to be seeing a lot more patients one-on-one, which was not what I thought would originally, initially happen. I I thought we were basically going to be running group medical sessions in the form of CHIP and other things, but patients want to be seen one-on-one. And amazingly enough, doctors want to see patients one on one. So not going to fight that. Uh, And I do think we will move forward a lot more with uh, shared medical visits, which actually is a billable thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So instead of a doctor seeing one patient for 10 minutes uh, and, you know, basically seeing four patients an hour, what they'll do is one doctor will see eight patients in two hours, but they'll be there together the whole two hours. And so and being able to go through all this and discuss it with in little groups. And and I think economically that will become viable when the insurance companies come around. Um, not every doctor wants to sit in a room with a lot of a lot of patients. But I do think that's going to be powerful moving forward.
0: So what are the, what are the uh, skills that a doctor needs to do that that they are not being taught right now?
1: Uh, great question. Um, so. For one thing, you need to understand plant based nutrition, you need to understand nutrition in general, yeah. Uh, and that's definitely not taught in medical school. And it's becoming a, more, of a, more of an in, interest of newer medical students. Um, so I think that's going to be taken care of. I think some of this stuff is just sort of natural skill that people kind of are born with. Not everybody is ever not everybody can be is going to ever have great bedside manner and be able to carry on, a, uh, you know, a group visit. It's although I think it can be taught. I mean, there certainly are principles involved. Um you know motivational interviewing uh these kinds of things you can be coached on learning that there's a, you know some acting involved uh so i think that that could be taught uh and certainly there's probably a lot more docs out there who could learn it who haven't so the interviewing skills motivating skills that type of thing will definitely become important um cool
0: yeah <laughs> how how do you how do you learn how to uh how to influence patients? Was it, was it well, sort of on the job training or did you go back for, for motivational interviewing or other techniques?
1: So obviously I'm still learning. We're all becoming better, um, communicators as we grow up. And, um, you know, I think I make progress every day. Um, you know, I, it's always been fairly easy for me to carry in conversations with people of all kinds of all backgrounds. And I've always sort of prided myself on that. Um, and I try to you try to read who it is. Uh, you know, if it's someone who's I, can identify with me, I may use more scientific facts. I uh, may talk about more about the studies, and um, but I, I try to make a, a you try to make a human connection first. I think it's important that people feel as if they're being understood. Uh, you know, there's one of the laws of the Seven Habits, right? One of the Seven Habits is seek first to understand, right. then to be understood. You really need people to. Feel as if you understand them. And, 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 you're not, and that's not acting. You really do need to understand someone before you can try to help them from, because you have to help them move from where they are. Um, you know, I think treating people with respect is really important. I think uh, people are often a lot smarter than we give them credit for and you just have to learn what language they're speaking um, and uh, what, what words mean to them. Uh, so as far as those skills, they're definitely evolving.
0: Boy, gotcha. well, for someone who okay. doesn't like the word marketing, you are awfully good at it.
1: Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you. So, yeah, and yeah, I'm trying to understand. Marketing doesn't have to be evil. I get that. And you know, you have to uh, you have to live in the world that we live in, which is you know, there's Facebook and Twitter and these things. Whether you like them or not, that's how people are communicating, and they clearly have power over people. I mean, one of the examples I I joke about is. You know, there may be if you're in the if you want to meet a spot, you want to meet a mate and you want to go to a bar to meet them, right? Well you but your favorite bar, there's nobody there. There's no point in going to that bar. Yeah. <laughs> you need to right? you need to go to the bar where everybody is, even if you don't like that bar. So right. Not that I've ever really done that, but you get the idea. I mean you you need to you, you need to be practical about it. So if this if how if the way we're communicating is through Facebook and Twitter and various other online methods, well we have to learn we have to adapt to that. We have to learn it. Um, we also have to remember that once in a while, we've got to put our devices down and go out in the woods. I do that. I try to do that every day. Uh, and I think that's important too. Right. That's actually part of lifestyle medicine. So it's getting people out in this nature deficit disorder, but.
0: Right. We need, we need, you know, especially those of us in the plant-based and uh, lifestyle movement, we need to get mm-hmm. our energy from the wider world and then, sh- and then bring it back, bring back the gifts right. to the humans. If we just, if we just stay mm-hmm. in the human world, we end up like, just like everybody else.
1: Right, you know, in cat, right.
0: in cat fights and, pet, yeah. and pettiness and depression.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. we don't want that. No. Yeah. yeah,
0: We we know the secret source, so we need to keep going there. Right?
1: Exactly. So I, i one of my passions is birding. I'm out birding every day, and uh, I can't really stop birding. So I'm always hearing birds mm. and try to, I basically. Um, so I've actually one of the things we're teaching our patients is actually how to become a citizen scientist how to get out in the woods and really commune. Oh. So I know be- becoming a citizen scientist makes it sound like there's actually some kind of purpose involved. And and there is, but you know, you, I just think getting out there is so great for people. So oh,
0: now, unfortunately I have to go, but I th- that could be a whole other conversation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. My my, my, yeah. my running buddy, um, Gio is a birder. So, we'll, Oh, is that right? So we we'll, you know, I'll, I'll be sort of, you know, panting and, my feet are like yeah. making loud paving sounds and all of, the, all of a sudden he'll stop and he'll say, wood thrush.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. I do that all the time. So, yeah, actually, I carry a little handheld dictaphone uh, so I can keep track of the birds. So when I get home, I make the list. Uh, so you might su- suggest that to your friend who's the runner. You can just keep it, keep a list that way.
0: Okay, cool. So yeah. Sometimes your transcription service gets really confused. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't yeah. quite get the dosage of that. It's, Right. No, it's, right. it's an Oriole.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Well,
0: Dr. Doc, Dr. Veggie, Dr. Yeah. Ted Barnett, this is so much fun connecting with you. Yeah. I'm, fin- I'm glad we finally got around to doing it.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure. So,
0: uh, be be well and uh, we'll continue our conversations. All
1: right, thank you. Oh, wait, 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 wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. Before we go, how can people find out more about you? How can they follow you? How can they if they're in the Rochester area? How can they use sure. your services?
1: So, you can start if you just want to Google something easy, Rochester Lifestyle Medicine, and you'll get in touch with us that way. But our um, URL is rocklifemed.com, R O C L I F E C O M dot com, uh, R O C L I F E M E D dot com. Okay. Uh, but if you just Google Rochester Lifestyle dot com, also if you're interested in veganism, you can look up RochesterVeg.org. Uh, and uh, we run the Rochester Vegan Society as well. That meets once a month. So, We're coming at it from a whole bunch of different directions. And then there's the Rochester Lifestyle Medicine Institute, which we'd love it if you could support. Uh, It's our nonprofit, and uh, we are uh, still getting started with um, uh, our fundraising efforts, but we'd like that to become a national resource. Um, We think that if we can, uh, you know, it is a local organization in the sense that it has the name Rochester in it, but we think Rochester is a really good um, uh, laboratory uh, for uh, focusing it on one metropolitan area and then spreading out to the rest of the, the country and then the rest of the world once we succeed here because we'd like lifestyle medicine to really be the go-to for everybody yeah well we might and, we uh, might as
0: well scale stuff that works exactly given exactly. give a choice yeah like you know there's the, right. you know, they're doing great things in detroit around with the plant-based nutrition support group and so right. that's something that we're looking to replicate in other communities and rochester right. certainly is a hotbed You know, it it may be reaching a tipping point, a critical mass in terms of people understanding. And so, rather than you know spending our 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 effort and our marketing money on a national level, uh, I think it makes sense to to hit community after community and actually have have some impact.
1: Right, right. No, you're absolutely right. And our so our direction really, uh, we're trying to direct our energies into. Right into the healthcare system itself. I call it go- marching into the belly of the beast <laughs> because it needs it needs to be when the doctors are logging into their electronic healthcare record uh, that uh, lifestyle medicine is one of the options featured at the very top of their list of ways to treat people. The insurance companies need to accept this uh, as a, a way going forward uh, that this is a primary place they should be putting their money. You know, it's great for health systems. Healthcare systems are all competing over things like bariatric surgery and their cath- you know, cardiac cath labs because that's where the glamour is. That's where a lot of the money is right now. We need to make this not only glamorous, but we need to make it a viable um, career path for physicians going into practice. That's our real goal because until that happens, it's not going to be taken seriously.
0: Hmm. Viable and glamorous career goal. That's right. Career path. Career yeah. path, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. unfortunately, you're you've already uh, cornered the market on Dr. Veggie. So everyone else is going to need their own superhero. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Right. Exactly.
1: exactly. All right.
0: So I'll put the, I'll throw those all in the show notes and uh, okay. hopefully we okay. can uh, we can keep keep rolling the ball forward. Beautiful. OK. All right. Thanks a lot, Ted. My pleasure. Take care. Bye. All right. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of hope in my heart after listening to The Vision and the work and the experiences of Ted Barnett. The revolution will certainly be delicious. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast and you'd like to support our mission, one way to do that is to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And for more information about WellStart Health, remember we're starting a new cohort on August 6th. It's a 12-week intensive followed by nine additional months of Support, ongoing help and support to help you become your healthiest, best, leanest, fittest you. If you know enough about me and Josh Lajani and about our work with Big Change that you're just ready to sign up, you can do that at wellstarthealth.com slash apply. If you'd like to find out more, you can check out bigchangeprogram.com and you can also sign up for those two webinars we talked about at plantyourself.com slash now. Hey, we got a lot of show notes for today's episode. A lot of links. Uh, Ted Barnett is a researchy kind of guy. So we have a whole bunch of links to the studies he talked about, including that amazing study about the lack of randomized control trials of parachutes. You can just uh, grab that right from the show notes, which you can find at plantyourself.com slash 280. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 200... 79 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. All right, in garden news, the kale is starting to give up the ghost. We're just getting our last leaves. We're going to have to pull harlequin bugs off of the bottoms of most of them or their, their nasty little egg sacs. And looks like we're going to have to be going back to supermarket greens in just a little while. The elderberries are still coming in really strongly. Blueberries are close to done, getting a half a Ziploc bag a day now. That's freezer gallon size, so it's still nothing to sneeze at, but uh, not the two or three bags we've been getting so far. And looks like the grapes are ripening. Last year, we didn't get a single grape, but this year, I guess uh, I was able to lay off the heavy pruning. So the grapevine is coming back and going to produce some beautiful sweet scuppernung muscadines. In running news, my ankle is looking better. I had it professionally taped up this past weekend for the um, Ultimate Masters Championships in uh, Chicago area, in Aurora, Illinois. And I'm happy to report that my team triaged, came in fourth nationally. We won our first three games in pool play. And then we won our quarterfinal game to make it into the semifinals, into the top four, where we got schooled. (laughs) Twice. Um, and so we come home with a great record and we also come home having learned a ton. And just like when we mess up in our diets or any other aspect of our lives, all it is is data for better performance in the future. So looks like I'll be uh, staying off the ankle for another few days and then probably this coming weekend back to jogging and then a summer of sprints and defensive drills so that um, I can be a valued member of the team as we move forward. All right, so some thanks are in order. Of course, Will Hour. let's hear it. Let's bring up the sound of Sabali Don, the Dance of Peace. Check out willridenour.com for more of his beautiful Kora music from Western Africa. And, of course, thanks to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons, as in... Comparison, Lynn McClellan, I think, Disney, Brittany, Porter, Dominic, Marra, Barbara, Wendy, Tammy, Black, Amy, Good Amanda, Havily, Mary, Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kenali, Melissa, Cobra, Burns, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharf, Tina, Herr, and Jennifer Flaganovsky, David, Bissig, the Mysterious, Michelle, X, Alsa, Feldman, Victoria, Dolmanova, Leah Stroll, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle, Andrew, Jose, and Julian Rollins, Doonley, Sarah Stark, Dirk, Sranzo Circus, Kelly, Cameron, Wayne Peters and Leanne Peterson, Janet, Selby, Claire Armstrong, Franzek, Jeanette Pedro, and Gilda David, Donahue, Hubler, Cyber Dora, Nives OG, and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth and Fundberg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Lamus, Becca Hughes. Val Linderman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, a Carper, Stephanie Holmes, Mother Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Almond, Molly Levine, the Inscrutable, Harry R, Susan Laverty, the Panda, Vegan, Kovac, Adam Sharp, Karen Berry, Heather Morgan, Sh- Ashley Corker, and Kelly Michia, Diane Norton, Bonnie Lange, Plant Happy Organ, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Bloom, Carissa Copel Shell, Ruthless, Julian Watkins, Brieto, O'Connell, Brian, Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rosland, Daya, Julie Lang, Holm, Hedegaard, Isa Tuzin, Wakani, Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, and Viva L, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn, Jensen, Sherry, Orlikoski, a plant powered for health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani Jack and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton. Theresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divitt, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, and Laurie Fanny for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherly, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Mr. Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Likunovsky, David Bizek, Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkas, Rhymes of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, <laughs> Janet Selby, <laughs> Janet Selby, <laughs> hi Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Belen Gillis, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Jerome Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Martha Bergner, Susan and Nolly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R, Susan Laverty, the panda vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, D.N. Norton, Bonnie Lynch at Plant, Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble, Julian Rodkins, Breed O'Connell. Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isatu Zinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen Jo Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Dan Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justin Divich, Summer Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Stephen Steven Leenan, Patty Martino, Mike and Donna Cartz, Diane Bishop, Bill Briel, Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Briel, and Kramer Lenth, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullich, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Shell Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paran Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Alison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sawyer Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lucian, and Sarah Johnson